Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that's so much better. Well, uh, thank you. It's so good to be here. Uh, my name is Chris Gonzalez, and I've known Scott for uh, probably about a dozen years. And so as he was planting New Valley and I was planting a church in Tempe, we got to know each other uh, during that time. And over that, that uh, dozen years or so, he's never asked me to come and preach here for him. And so it took him being out of town, uh, Carson being out of town, Gray being out of town, uh, who else? Tyson being out of town, and, and Tim Keller couldn't show up this week. <laughs> So you're left with me. Uh, so I'm just trying to set the bar really low. You're left with me. Also to set the bar really low, here's the other thing. My dentist is here. And I went to see my dentist last month, and apparently not flossing for a year leads to a really long and painful uh, appointment. And so I'm going to pay that back, not just to him, but to all of you. And so it's going to be a really long and painful sermon. That's where we're headed. You're welcome. I just got back, uh, I feel like a stand-up comic, sorry, let's pray. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray as we get ready to talk about Psalm 131, uh, that Holy Spirit, you would do the work that you do of illuminating the word of God to us, that we'd be able to see it not just as words on a page, but as the living, inspired word that speaks to us. And that is part of this long unfolding story where you, God of all creation, are revealing what you're doing in history and ultimately in Jesus. And so would you do the work that you do, Spirit, of illuminating the word of God to us, help me to speak, to preach, to uh, communicate to my brothers and sisters here that we would be able to have our souls calmed and quieted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, uh, my dad has a condo in South Florida. It's right on the beach. It's a beachfront condo uh, in a place called Juno Beach. It's magical. It's wonderful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And we uh, go there every summer, my, me and my wife, Leslie, and our three kids who are in high school and junior high. And so we've gone every year for about the last decade, and we spend 10 years there. Uh, 10 years, I wish. Uh, we spend uh, 10 days there on the beach, and it's on the sixth floor. Overlook, there's this couch right inside overlooking these huge glass doors that overlook the Atlantic Ocean and the beach. And so for me, every year, especially as we, the, the, the days here get hotter and hotter and ministry gets more and more combative and difficult and all this stuff, I get more and more excited every year to go to Florida and to sit on the beach, but not just to sit on the beach, to sit on that couch. Now, I can't explain it to you. I'm going to try to, but I'm not even going to try. Just listen. It's the most comfortable couch in the world. And not just because it's right there overlooking these glass doors that overlook the Atlantic Ocean. It's just comfortable in and of itself. And every year, I look so forward to being able to go into the condo and they keep the air conditioning down at like 72. I don't know why. It's amazing. And just sitting there on this couch, sometimes using a blanket, and it's like, it's this place that's far away from all of you guys and the people in my congregation. And I just sit there. And there's something about those moments where I can, I can bring my Bible there, or sometimes I'll just not even have my Bible, just sing a song, or just look out at the Atlantic Ocean. And my soul gets calmed and quieted. Like, that is a place and the time of year, more than any other time, more than any other place for me, where my soul is just able to be calmed and quieted. Here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. 
where are you able to find calm and quiet? Like, where is a place in this world, maybe in the city, maybe in your home, maybe wherever it is, but where is a place where you're like, man, that is where I can just rest. I can be at peace when I'm there. Is it a place in the woods? Is it a place in the mountains? Is it by the beach? Is it a specific piece of furniture? What is it? Where is it? Would you turn to uh, maybe one or two people next to you, and would you tell them what that place is? Ready? Go. Today we're going to look at Psalm 131, so if you have a Bible, you can open there. Also in your bulletin, I hope everybody got a bulletin. In your bulletin, there's a little handout, I hope, Lord willing, that has a bunch of notes on it and uh, an alternate translation that I'm I'm going to use here in a second. It kind of does a couple things here. But the psalmist in Psalm 131, listen to this, you're going to see, it's just three verses. And specifically in the second verse, you're going to see, He has gotten to the place where his soul is calmed and quieted, not just once a year for a few days on a couch on the beach in this specific place, but it seems like he's saying he's gotten to this place and he's living out of this place where his soul finds rest. All the voices that continue to go on in our mind, you got to do this, you ought to do this, you got to do this, you should be doing this, you're not doing this right, you failed at this, all those voices, it seems like he's saying, My soul has been calmed and quieted. And so this is my prayer for us as we work through these three short verses, is that uh, it's going to take some work, but I want us to think about how do we get to that place, and maybe we could find a place similar to where the psalmist is. He doesn't have to get somewhere. He doesn't have to close his eyes and imagine it. He's discovered how to live there. I want to live there, don't you? Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child upon me. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both today and forever. This is God's word. Let's look at these three verses. In the first verse, he's going to start out, and he says, my heart is not proud and, and lifted up. Like, God, I'm, I'm not, uh, and he's going to go on and say, my eyes are not haughty, I don't concern myself with great matters. He's, say, he's not saying, I don't want to think about really important or really deep or really difficult things, and that that's bad, and we should just be simpleton, simple-minded, and put those things away. But he's saying it in the sense that, uh, in a haughty or lifted up way, saying there's all these complicated things in the world and I stand over them and I've figured them out. Saying, that's not me. I've realized that this world is complex and complicated. To put it, going back to the children's curriculum you guys are going through, the Bible tells one unfolding story put it this way, the Bible tells a story that starts in creation where the world is good and right and beautiful, but it goes very quickly from there into this is a broken world 
and we see that that second act of the story from creation to the rebellion. Sometimes we call it the fall. I love Chris Wright, uh, Old Testament uh, theologian, biblical scholar. He says this, I don't know why anybody calls it the fall. Nobody fell anywhere. They rebelled against the living God, their Lord. And when they rebelled against God, all of creation gets infected like, like a parasite eating away at his good creation. And so for us standing today, this side of Jesus returning and fulfilling everything and making everything right again, before that happens, we stand here with a level of humility saying, I don't understand everything. I'm not going to have it all together and get it all. So he starts there with this I don't know, confession to God. An acknowledgement that I don't have it all figured out. It would do a lot of us, myself as the chief of sinners, good to be able to just acknowledge to others, but maybe even to myself, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers. Now verse 2, and this is the verse I want to I key in, and we're going to spend a lot of time right here. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And then he uses an illustration. Just one illustration. He says, like a weaned child with its parent, uh, with its mother, my soul is like a weaned child upon me. Now, I love the psalm. At our church, we've been going through the psalms all summer, and so this was one that gripped me at the beginning of the summer, and it was kind of like my own personal psalm. I didn't know if I was going to preach. I preached it a couple weeks ago. I don't know if I was going to, because I don't want to share it with everybody. I was like, this is kind of mine. I want to hold it to myself. Then I thought, that's not very nice. So I preached it a couple weeks ago, and then I want to share it with you guys as well today. But for the first couple months as I was sitting and, and soaking with the psalm and trying to say, what does it look like to be calmed and quieted? What I thought he was saying was like a child that has just been nursed by its mother. So a child wakes up, starts crying. Why are they crying? A newborn. They're either hungry or they have a dirty diaper. Mom figures out, diaper's clean, must be hungry, so mother nurses the baby. Once the baby's fed, the baby is then content. And so I went for a couple months thinking, okay, that's a great, I gotta be like that, okay. Like, that's how I want my soul to be as I rest with God. But then, um, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, the word isn't like a nurse child, is it? The word, and some of you are getting uncomfortable right now because we're talking about breastfeeding. It's okay, just take a deep breath. Uh, sorry, I'm not Presbyterian. I gotta, we gotta jump around a little bit. Scott's not either, but that's all right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray again. No. Um, <laughs> it's a weaned child. And, and what the weaning process is, it's the process of weaning the child off of uh, the mother's milk and onto solid foods. And I, admittedly, our kids are a little bit older, and my wife uh, wasn't able to breastfeed our children, uh, TMI, sorry, but uh, I wasn't, like, really familiar with this whole weaning process, and so I, I got a couple quotes from a few different people, uh, three different people named uh, Alyssa, Sarah, and Charles. I'll tell you about Charles in a second. <laughs> First quote from Alyssa, a mom in our church I texted a bunch of people and got a couple texts back, a couple of moms. This was super helpful. She had just weaned her child. They were part of our missional community, and I, they kept talking about that, like, I'm, the weaning, it's so hard, it's so difficult, it's, it, he's, he's a mess. And so I was like, tell me about this. Like, what is the weaning process? Try not to be weird. 
She goes, okay. She says, before, so listen to this. And and go with this, because this is what the psalmist is saying. It should be like for us as we are uh, with God, trying to find rest with God. Before a baby is weaned, they have a lot of food anxiety. They cry for every meal, and if mom is around and they're even remotely hungry, they will cry as if they've never eaten before in their life. Their relationship with mom is basically, you are my food source, and all I can think about is when I will eat again. So before my son was weaned, if he got up from a nap, I would normally feed him right away. So as soon as he saw me, he would, he would not start whining. However, what changes when they're weaned, is that food anxiety goes away, and what develops is trust. They trust that they will be fed when they are hungry, and they no longer start crying for food as soon as they see mom. So in practice, this past week, when I dropped my son's final morning feeding, the first few days when I got him up in the morning, he still had that food anxiety. And so if I didn't have breakfast ready for him immediately, he would start crying. But, listen to this, As time goes on, he is now able to wait a few minutes and trust that breakfast will come, even if he can't see it the moment he wakes up. How good is that? How calmed and quieted would our souls be if we learned to trust God that even though uh, his answers to our prayers, even though what we think we need doesn't seem readily apparent, even though our lives and our relationships seem a mess, what if we learned in the moment to trust God? him, to rely that he will truly meet our needs, that he really is good. She goes on, so when I read those verses in the line, I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content, that's the image I think of. A baby that trusts that their needs will be met and can wait patiently even in the presence of their mother. Instead of focusing so singularly on their hunger and crying, they're able to be calm and trust that their needs are known even when they still don't have words to express it, and that they will be taken care of. Isn't that good? That's how I want to be with the Lord. So that's Alyssa. Sarah, uh, she's a little more uh, concise. And she just texted me back and said this, Listen, before a kid is weaned, it's basically a shark attack. Every time your baby gets near your chest... Whether they're needing to be fed or comforted, once the baby is weaned, they are free to just snuggle and it becomes a place of safety and rest. And then Charles, his last name's Spurgeon. He's got a quote. It's not as good as the other two. <laughs> For real. I like the, the other two are a lot more insightful than Chuck. He said, For a weaned child thinks nothing of itself. It is but a little babe. Whatever consciousness it has at all about the matter, it is not conscious of any strength or any wisdom. It is dependent entirely upon its mother's care. That is good. That we would be dependent entirely upon our Father God's care for us. Oh, that like Psalm 131 verse 2 says that we would calm and quiet our souls. That our souls would be like a weaned child Resting against this mother, not knowing that he doesn't need anything, but it has everything, and mom will provide everything that it needs, that we would be that way with God. But unfortunately, I found in, in my, my 15 years pastoring and meeting with people and, 
and, and talking to people why they, they don't. There's not just one reason why people struggle to be calmed and quieted with the Lord. In fact, there's tons of different reasons. And so if we went around the room and I just started saying like, hey, I, I know you, you guys are used to just kind of being passive and sitting there and not like responding back. And, but if I just said, okay, I'm going to point at you and you got to tell me, why do you not, why do you, are you not calmed and quieted with the Lord? And what about you? And what about you? There would be all sorts of different answers, different reasons. Here's why. Because we have all sorts of different strategies to avoid just being calm and quiet. And each of us goes to these different strategies. We struggle and we resist in different ways. And this is where if you do have that handout, it'll be really helpful right here because there's a lot of text. I don't have it on the screen, but I have it there. Here are nine different ways that I found people uh, tend to resist being calmed and quieted with the Lord. Nine different types of people, you might say. And what I want you to do is I, I just read through these and make maybe a couple mentions about each of them. Would you just, if, and if you have a pen, circle a couple of them, but is there one of these? I want to, I'm going to want you to pick one of them that you'd say, yeah, this is me, and this is the reason that it's difficult for me to calm and quiet my soul. Number one, maybe you're like the reformer. And you say this, there is always something or someone to fix. How can I rest and just sit there on your couch, Chris, and, and be like a weaned child because there's so much, there's things that are wrong that are messed up. Even right now, I'm thinking of things that are, that are wrong and could be better and people that could be fixed. Are you a reformer? Number two, the second one, there is always someone to help. You're a helper. So you got the reformer, there's something wrong with stuff. The helper, man, there's people who have needs. And how am I just going to sit here and be selfish all by myself right here and just me and Jesus, but there's other people whose needs need to be met and, and how are they going to ever get to know Jesus and be, be calm with Jesus if, if, if not for me being their Savior? Number three, the achiever. There was always someone else to impress, something to accomplish. If I'm just sitting there quietly being with Jesus, I'm not actually accomplishing anything. No one's being impressed by me. Number four, the individualist says this, listen, I'm unique. If I simply calm and quiet myself, I'll just end up being like all the other sheeple and not my true self. Number five. Number five is the learner. So the learner says that there's always something to figure out. Maybe I can't just sit here and rest and turn my mind off because turning my mind off, there's more things to figure out, to think about. Number six is a loyalist. The loyalist says there's always something or someone to fear. Number seven, the enthusiast says FOMO. Does anybody know what that means? Fear of missing out. If I'm just going to be here by myself over here while all of you guys are out here doing crazy, fun, amazing things, but I'm just going to sit over here by Jesus, I'm going to miss out on all the things that you guys are doing. So how can I just sit here and be alone with God and calm and quiet my soul? I've got to go and do something. Next is, is the challenger. I have one of these in my initial community. If I'm calm and quiet, I'll lose ground in this battle, and there's always a battle. 
So it's a sense that my life is like a constant battle against other people with things. uh, There's a war to win. And so if I just sit here and be quiet by myself, I'm not going out and like I'm losing ground because you're going to advance on me. You're going to take ground. You're going to go do stuff. And then finally, there's peacemakers who basically say, yeah, just take those other eight, mix them together in a ball of concern for everyone. And that's why I find it hard to calm my soul. Because you're a peacemaker and, and, and you see every, the side, everybody's side of every issue. And, and, you're concern- and so if I can just sit here, now I'm worried and concerned about everybody else. And so by definition, being calmed and quieted with the Lord means just turning my attention to me and Jesus. And that means I'm not thinking about everyone else and how everybody else is thinking about things. And so... Here's what I want you to do, if you, if you don't mind. And I know I'm, I've already asked you once to turn to your neighbor. I'm going to ask you just one more time. If you had to pick one of these, if you had to pick one of these nine and say, the one that I feel like I'm struggling with right now, don't worry, you're not going to be defined by this. This isn't your, like, whatever. But like, if you just said, man, the, this one, when he said this, that is probably why I, right now, am really struggling to calm and quiet my soul. Would you share that with maybe one or two people around you? And here's the other thing. Listen, everybody look up here real quick. If you don't know or you don't feel comfortable, it's like, I'm an introvert. I have social anxiety. I don't want to talk. Just say, like, I don't know. And everybody else, listen, if someone says, I don't know, that's totally fine. Just say, okay, cool. That's okay. All right? So uh, I'm going to give you about, like, 45 seconds to just share which one, and maybe if you're free, if you're okay with it, share why you chose that one. Ready, set, go. All right. Okay, if you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for which one you are. If you don't feel comfortable raising your hand, again, that's totally fine. But if you are, I'd love to just be able to speak directly to you. This is the helpful part of the sermon. Uh, I know, thankfully, finally. Uh, this is the helpful part of the sermon where I'm going to solve your problems for you. I'm going to help you calm and quiet your soul. So, number ones, you perfectionists. Number ones, we raise your hand. Hey, quit it. Quit trying to fix everybody and everything. Stop. Number twos. Number twos. Thank you. Thank you that you're so concerned about everybody else. Listen, you're not their savior. You're not their messiah. Stop. Number threes. Those of you who like me, raise your hand if you're like me and you got to achieve and perform. Right now I'm performing for you. I'm thankful that you're laughing at me. I just got to stop it. And stop. Quit. Number fours. You're an individualist. Like you're, you're a snowflake. Raise your hand, snowflakes. Stop. The worship leader. There you go. Number fives. Number sixes. Number seven. Listen. Do you see the point? Stop it. Quit it. Doesn't work. It doesn't lead to a place where our souls are rested. 
if anything, some of the things I just said that right there made some people a little offended and made you feel like, oh, is he just attacking me? Listen, quit it isn't the answer to resting and calming and quieting our souls. Jesus is. And so for you reforming people, number ones on the list, until you see that Jesus is the ultimate solution to all problems, including that of your own heart, all of your attempts to fix things by other means will keep you from being able to calm and quiet your soul. Helping twos until you see that Jesus has been your friend who cares even more deeply for you and your needs than you could ever care about other people's needs. You'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. Performing threes until you see that Jesus already performed the ultimate work by dying and rising for you, for me, we will never be able to calm and quiet our souls. Unique fours, until you see that Jesus knit you together and knows you better than you know yourself and he died for you as a dear friend, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. Observing distant fives, until you see the Father in complete control while Jesus was on the cross and realize that he is thus always in control and caring for you, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul and engage. Loyal sixes, until you see that true refuge is found only in Jesus, not in doing what is right or living according to the code, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. Enthusiastic sevens, until you see Jesus in the darkest parts of your soul and that no experience or opportunity can bring full contentment, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. Challenging eights, until you see that Jesus has won the ultimate battle and he fights yours for you, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. And peacemaking nines, until you see Jesus' concern for you, until you see Jesus' concern for you, not just everybody else, Jesus' concern for you, you'll never be able to calm and quiet your soul. Jesus is the answer. Oh, that for each one of us, we would look to Jesus and see in him everything that our souls need, everything that we're longing for, that we're searching for, that we would stop and we would find him. As you begin this new year, I know it still feels like it's summer, it's hot, it's in the middle, but Chandler, they've already gone back to school. Tempe, everybody else, they're going back to school in a week. Here's the deal. It's a new season, and there's new challenges, and there's new things coming. That new valley would be a church that you would be a congregation that is able to calm and quiet your soul because you see Jesus as all-sufficient. And guess what? And guess what? As you do, as you sit calmed and quieted, this is when you are able to freely and honestly and vulnerably call others to do the same hope that you are resting in. Look at verse 3. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Both Today, the Hebrew there, it's today, put your hope in the Lord today. And that's what I want to call you to today, New Valley. Put your hope in the Lord today and forever. Both today and forever. 
And as you do that, would you be faithful witnesses who call your neighbors, who call the people that you work with, who call our city, who call our world, to calm and quiet their soul, to find their hope and their rest in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Would you pray with me as we get ready to go to the table, the place where we come each week, where we're reminded, and in fact, where we're nourished and we're fed, that our souls might be calmed and quieted. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for these words that the psalmist wrote thousands of years ago that have been read for thousands of years by your people and that for thousands of years people have been challenged to calm and to quiet their soul, to put their hope again in you, Lord, to put our hope in you, Jesus. And so now as we, as we respond by singing and as we respond by coming to the table, I ask that our souls would be calmed and quieted anew. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.